Andrew Scott once said, It's a thrilling world, and people really like stories about secrets, which is the essence of a spy drama. This is Save vs. Rant. Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the Everyman Gaming Podcast. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about hidden role games. Hidden role games. Games with hidden roles, as the name would suggest. Now, when you think hidden roles, you might be thinking liar's dice, where you have a certain number of dice that you roll, you hide that roll, and then you bluff about how many dice you have. We're not talking about that kind of hidden role. And for that matter, we're not talking about other bluffing games like the bullshit or any sort of similar card game. We're talking about games where you, as the player, take on a hidden role. Now, I believe the oldest concept of a hidden role game was Mafia. Mafia is probably the uh, quintessential and prototypical example. Which then evolved into Werewolf. Now, for those of you who haven't played Werewolf, go to your friendly local game store and buy any of the 15 dozen different copies of Werewolf that they have. Yeah. It's a classic game. About a third of the group, maybe less, is Werewolves. The whole group goes to sleep air quotes around goes to sleep, and the werewolves collectively kill one of the people who's not a werewolf. The group wakes up, and they discuss among themselves who they believe were- uh, the werewolves in the group are. They can then kill one of the people in the group. If they kill a werewolf, they're informed. If not, well, bad things happen. And it goes back and forth until the werewolves equal 50% of the group. Now, in most werewolf variations these days, it's not as simple as just werewolves and villagers. That's more of like what Mafia was, where everybody got a card and they were either Mafia or they were a regular citizen. In most werewolf variations these days, there are additional hidden roles. You're not just a werewolf. You might be the alpha wolf and have a special ability. Or you might be the seer and be able to look at people and know if they're a werewolf each night. Or you might be a huntsman and be able to kill someone if you're killed. There's also many other variations. You could be a mason, which you do not talk about the masons. No one talks about the masons. There are no masons. Or you could be the junior seer, where if the regular seer dies, you can take on the powers of the seer. There's many, many different variations to the roles you could be. Yeah, and the bigger the group, the more roles you typically want to include in the group. That said, you still want to have a number of basic average citizens, so that way the werewolves can hide among them. That way the werewolves can go, no, I'm just a basic citizen. I don't have a power. From there, there are a number of other variations of hidden role games. The biggest problem with, with Mafia and Werewolf is that there's player elimination. You can sit out an entire game just because you were eliminated in the first round. Yeah, for example, you might just be known to be a really good player, like my brother, and get eliminated quickly. Or you might just look shifty, also like my brother, and get eliminated quickly. So there's a number of games like, specifically, The Resistance and its offshoot Avalon, wherein you have the hidden roles, you have the bad guys and good guys, and you play a number of rounds and try and figure out who the bad guys are. And in games like Avalon and Resistance, the important thing is no one gets eliminated. Everyone gets to play throughout the whole game, and even if their roles are discovered, even if everyone's absolutely certain that you are a bad guy, and you are a bad guy, and you can't convince them otherwise, 
you're still in the game and you can throw shade and otherwise try to lead the uh, good guys astray. So Avalon is one of my absolute favorite hidden role games of all time. It's a great little game where some people are bad guys and you really just have to try and find tells among your friends to figure out what role they are. My favorite story of this actually involves John. Oh, no. So we were playing. We were playing in a group that was. I think it was seven people. Seven people. Uh, it was you, me, Tyler, your brother Justin, your wife, and our friend Jacob. Is that seven? Uh, yeah, yeah. Beck, Jake, yeah. Okay. So in a group of seven, there's three bad guys, and we had already figured out one of the people was a bad guy. We had figured out, I think, fifty percent that another person was a bad guy, but there was one left. Our friend Jacob is unfortunately, very honest. He can't lie. He doesn't lie very well. So playing hidden role games actually is a bit of a challenge for him. And this game, he wasn't giving any of his tells. And mathematically, I had narrowed it down to either Jacob or John. Jacob wasn't giving any of his tells, so I was fairly certain it was John. But I had a method of figuring out if John was the bad guy. So I said, John is clearly the bad guy. Everyone, John is the bad guy. And I was like, no, I'm a good guy. I have the good guy card, therefore I am a good guy. And, you know, it just started out with, you know, obviously I'm a good guy. There's nothing I can do to really prove this, but I am a good guy. And then I started picking at John. Every little thing that he said, I would call into question, including using bad logic. Wonderfully bad logic. Oh my god, the logic you used. You were like, John has to be a bad guy because Jeremiah is a bad guy. And it got under John's skin. My goal here was to actually make John mad. You see, John has this wonderful little thing where if he's lying, he can't get righteously mad. He can pretend, but it usually just comes off as kind of a smug, ha ha, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not lying. What are you talking about? No, no. He gets me rip-roaring furious about this because he's using terrible logic. He's he's making personal accusations. He's he's like, oh, look at his tells. Look at his tells. I'm moving my hands. I always move my hands when I talk. Oh, it's a tell. And John is getting so mad. He's red in the face. We're yelling at each other. I'll turn over my card right now and I'll show you that I'm a good guy. And then you'll turn over yours and prove that you're a bad guy. And then I'm going to punch you in the face. And John was throwing the same things back at me. He, and I was going, John, you're a bad guy. And John at that moment goes, no, I am a good guy. And then there was a pause. And I look him right in the eyes and go, okay, I believe you. And in that moment, everyone turns their head and looks at Jacob, who has not shown a single towel, who has not done anything to betray that he's a bad guy. And he just shrinks down in his chair with a sheepish look on his face. We ended up winning. The good guys ended up yeah, winning. Yeah. Suffice it to say, he was a bad guy and we had it down. I believe you have a game called Werewolf Inquisition, where some of the players are werewolves. And toward the end of the game, you can almost guarantee who the werewolves in your group are. But you're still playing. You're still playing and you still have to base your actions around the fact that you now know who the werewolves are and they are hell-bent on driving you astray. They will do anything in their power to prevent you from winning. No elimination, even once the roles are obvious, and everybody still gets to participate in the game. And that's something that's a little bit difficult about games like Mafia and Werewolf, where there's a chance that you'll be eliminated either early in the game or well before the end of the game and not get to play the rest of the game. 
The other problem with Mafia and Werewolf is that they require a narrator, usually someone who knows who everyone is. In Ultimate Werewolf, you need a narrator who calls out, Okay, everyone go to sleep. Werewolves, who are you killing? Good to know. Yeah, you have to go through all the steps. I actually I actually once came up with an elaborate setup with cups and balls and various other things that would allow you to play without a narrator. And it was just way too much work to even consider. Seriously. Now, in the short game Ultimate Werewolf One Night, it ha- it actually has an app that doesn't require a narrator. You can actually you can actually be the narrator in One Night Ultimate Werewolf and still participate in the game. That's the most important thing in Ultimate Werewolf. I think it might be only in the large pack with the expansion included, but there's a narrator card, so the narrator can be a role, thus allowing players to have a chance of being the narrator or playing in the game normally. I know that at our big parties, I'm usually the narrator. I have a very clear voice, and I have a little bit of fun with it. I also really enjoy being a group DM, and so I like knowing who the bad guys are, who the good guys are, and I play on people's fears a little bit. I have people wake up in order, and then finally there'll be two Two people left, one who's dead and one who wakes up. And I go, John, don't worry, man, wake up. Your wife's the one who died. <laughs> yeah, you can have a little fun with it, even as the narrator. It's not like you're bound completely by that role to complete indifference and all that. You don't want to give away anything. You don't want to make the game uh, more difficult or easier for one side. But you can still have a lot of fun within that role. You can describe how they were killed, like, and you were found dead on your own doorstep, or your severed head was found piked in the town square, anything like that. You know, you can have a good time with it, and you don't have to worry too much about giving things away with that sort of thing. But ultimately, you might not get to play a lot. So there's another hidden role game that uh, I recently picked up called Spyfall. And this is a fun little one. In the game, everyone is at a location. And one of the... uh, Everyone is dealt out a card. It's all the location card, except for the person who's the spy. They just have a card that says, you're the spy. Now, the goal of the game is to try and figure out who the spy is by asking questions of the other players, trying to figure out if they know where you're at. The problem is you have to ask leading questions, and the spy, if they're any good will be able to pick up on this. Yeah, the spy's goal is to say what the location is. The spy can stop at any time and say, okay, I know that we're on the military base, or we're in a space station, whatever. Fun that you mentioned that. I was playing Spyfall a couple weeks back at my friend Amy's house. She has a little gathering every now and then. And we were on the space station. And I look right at Amy's boyfriend and go, so, how did you get here? And he just nonchalantly says, oh, I drove which has led to a fun little meme within our group that is only spies drive to outer space. (laughs) Sorry. Okay. (laughs) I'm just picturing the spy getting in his car. Okay, let's go to space. (laughs) I think there was an 80s TV show that began that way. Like, I I don't know what it is. I'm fairly certain I might be making it up at this moment, but I, I could just see it. Let's go to outer space. All right, Mr. Robot. All right, Mr. Spy. Oh my God! Yeah, that's got to be a thing. It was probably it was probably the vehicle for some failed '80s hair band who wanted to have a cartoon after themselves. They have this flying car, and there's a spy who runs the whole thing, and they, and of course a Mr. Robot, yeah, who looks like one of those standard '80 robot '80s robots with the monotone voice and the slow robotic jerky movements. Dang, I'd watch that. I'd watch that now. 
So so there's there's a few other like halfway semi elimination games. I'm specifically thinking of Secret Hitler. Secret Hitler. It's basically the resistance, but as things get bad, the players get bullets and they can choose to uh, use the bullet to eliminate another player. So everyone plays for most of the game and then you can try and assassinate Hitler. Yeah, there's a point where you can start assassinating. It doesn't, you know, you can't be on the first turn and be like, I think you're Hitler, bang. That way people get to play the game, which is an important aspect of games, if you ask me. So people get to play the game, and then there's a point in the game where you go over this cliff and you're allowed to start eliminating players. That's a little bit better in a lot of ways than elimination right out the gate. Another game that I'm thinking of, it's actually halfway between a hidden role game and a bluffing game. Coup! It's set in the same universe as the Resistance, and you have two roles in front of you, and you often go, okay, I'm going to do the effect of this role, and people can call you on it, or people can block you if they have other roles, and eventually you have to lie. And if you're really good at it, you you lie your entire way through and win the game. You eliminate the other players by getting enough coins to commit a coup, or you say, oh, I'm the assassin and I kill you. Or if you're my wife, you lie not at all and you just get the right card over and over and over and over until you win. That can happen too. So hidden role games are not just card games. In fact, there's a lot of really good hidden role board games, specifically uh, the ones with the hidden traitor mechanic. The oldest one I can think of uh, off the top of my head is the Battlestar Galactica game by Fantasy Flight Games. It's basically Arkham Horror, but one of you is a Cylon. So the goal is to call out the Cylon, or is there another goal on top of that? I think you have to keep the ship from falling out of space. It, it takes a really long time. I only saw a Let's Play of it. I actually don't own it because it's kind of expensive, and I'm actually not that big of a fan of Battlestar Galactica. I've seen like two episodes, and I was completely lost, but that's not the point. Some games have a traitor mechanic in them, and in some cases it can be pretty hastily added. One good example is I think the uh, Dunwich Horror expansion to Arkham Horror now don't quote me on that i might be wrong but it had a card called joining the winning team and with that card you could sacrifice again don't quote me on this i believe four allies and that would allow you to win the game and everyone else loses the game the problem is allies are extremely hard to get everyone would know you were doing it so they do everything they could to stop you and it would take such a long time that it, it just isn't practical. I think my favorite thing said about that is uh, there's a comment on the Board Game Geeks thread about it. Someone, uh, Luca Inesio, Luca the Flaming, uh, says, It was nice to read it. It has been removed from my deck and now rests in the box while we play. Which I, I can understand because, it, like I said, it's kind of hastily added. It doesn't really flow with the rest of the game. It costs too much, it's too hard to do, and it flies in the face of how the game works. The game that actually introduced me to the traitor mechanic in board games was a game called Shadows Over Camelot. This is a fun little game. It's on my board gaming shelf somewhere, wherein there's potentially one person in the group as a traitor. Oh, I remember that. That's the game where you have to do all kinds of things and you just don't have enough people to do them. I remember that. That's frustrating. Part of the problem with Shadows Over Camelot is that it's actually been mathematically solved. If everyone is good, you sit at Camelot until your hands are just overflowing with cards, and then you move as a group to each of the different quests. You let one of the quests go, possibly getting Excalibur, and you just keep going through the quests. And you obviously can call out the bad guy if they don't 
follow wrong. this winning strategy. Right. That's a shame. Which Math ruins everything. <laughs> uh, it's why they had the expansion Merlin's Company, which just makes the game harder and more random. So that way the trader can actually hide, going, no, I can't do that because of this random thing that just came up. Or, no, the, this bad card's going to be really bad, so I, I have to I have to make sure the Camelot's destroyed by sieges. Sorry. <laughs> you know, just, just a quick rant, okay? F- mathematically solving games especially announcing you mathematically solved a game when you f***ing have it werewolf i keep hearing werewolf's been mathematically solved all you need to do is start out with an order to defeat people and just follow that order through the whole game no that's not a solution first of all the whole point of the game is the social aspect second it actually isn't a mathematical solution because if i'm the werewolf i know what the order is i kill from the back of that order and if i really want to throw some shade i skip someone and pretend that they were a werewolf now you have two choices lose by following your strategy or see if i'm bluffing by killing that person instead see it's not a mathematical solution you haven't solved the f***ing game because this can lose you the game every single time stop pretending it's solved it's not a solved game it's a game that's social and everybody wants to believe that they can solve it correctly by beating the game it in the prescribed manner by guessing who the liar is not by going let's just choose an order at the beginning i've never actually had someone try that but i'd love to see it because as the werewolf i would do the first thing which is find somebody at the end of the line and say i'm gonna skip that person but i'm gonna kill everyone else in order you or maybe that person is a werewolf which is great because then i don't even have to bluff i just don't kill the werewolf it's obvious there is no mathematical solution to werewolf you that said there are plenty of games that have been mathematically solved checkers for example which is not a bluffing or a random roll game connect four has also been mathematically solved yes but frankly those games aren't that fun to begin with yeah, those are those are more pastimes. That's like saying that tic-tac-toe has been mathematically solved. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, you take of, the corner. Yeah, Shadows Over Camelot is a game that I was sad to see was mathematically solved because it was fun. It was hard, but it was fun. There is a game that's kind of like Shadows Over Camelot in the fact that there's a traitor sometimes and is hard, but is better and hasn't been mathematically solved. Dead of Winter. Dead of Winter is about zombies in the middle of winter when life sucks and you have to scrimp and save for every little thing. Now, the typical way that you do this is everybody has a hidden quest. For most people, those quests are going to be things like, at the end of the game, none of your guys can be injured. Or you have to have enough rifles for all the people that you have. Or you have to have more books than everyone else. There's gotta be, there's these quests that don't really screw with the game. They just change how you play. But if you're doing it the cool way, you take the trader card and you have one more card than you have people. And the trader card is one of the cards. You shuffle them up, you distribute them, and then you put one back in the box. Is the box the trader? If the box isn't the trader, there's a trader somewhere. And the trader wins if you lose. The trader also has a trader objective, which is kind of hard, but it screws over everyone. I believe that there is one of them that's just 
have 10 food at the end of the game, and other people can lose. You don't care if the group loses, which is a lot of fun and terrifying. Oh, and there's no elimination. Again, even if everybody figures out who the traitor is and decides to exile the traitor, the traitor gets to keep playing. Now he gets to win if he screws everyone else over. So you don't get eliminated even if you're called out as the traitor, which is a cool game mechanic. Seriously, Dead of Winter, excellent game. Go out, give it a try, watch a demo, whatever. I really think that the vast majority of people listening would really love the game. So John, we're talking about hidden role games, games where one person's the bad guy and kind of gets revealed later. The game that got us into board gaming was Betrayal at House on the Hill. I had it, it was in my collection, and I brought it over to my role-playing group and went, hey guys, here's a board game, want to try a board game? And we played that game for an entire summer, day after day after day, game after game after game, hours and hours and hours. Especially now that the new edition has fixed the uh, minor misprints in the old edition. Yeah, Betrayal at the House. Sorry, Betrayal betrayal at House on the Hill. It is Betrayal at House. Oh, I just realized it can be called Bathoth. Yes, yes it can. (laughs) So Bathoth is a game wherein one person is the traitor. Wait, wait, wait. Bathoth. Is that Batman's secret cave on the ice planet Hoth? I would imagine so. Okay, good to know. (laughs) Okay, so... The thing about Betrayal at the House on the Hill is that one of the players is a traitor, but it's not decided at the beginning of the game. As the game goes along, you reveal omens, and each omen has a chance of triggering the haunt. Uh, when the haunt is triggered, you find out which player is the traitor, and all of the other players are banding together against the traitor. Now, the traitor might be the traitor because, oh, look, he was evil all along, or maybe he is eaten by a monster, and now you get to play the monster. But however it's narratively done, one player is the bad guy, everyone else is the good guy trying to beat that bad guy, and there's a bunch of rules for how to do that, with each team having their own secret rules that they get to learn about. And the fact of the matter is, this game is based on all the old horror and sci-fi tropes and all that stuff. So in one game, the traitor could be the uh, servant of Dracula, and Dracula is now in the house. Or could be, in fact, Dr. Frankenstein, and you have to defeat Frankenstein's monster. Or maybe the traitor unleashes the blob, and now the whole house is getting eaten by the blob. Or maybe the house has been transported to another dimension, and you have to play a piano to get it to come back okay yeah there's some weird ones and that's good that's really cool because it you know it doesn't play into all the old tropes it's a great game it's got a lot of variety and it still has that betrayer aspect to it with everyone cooperating at the beginning of the game and everyone genuinely cooperating at the beginning of the game because they know that the majority of them are going to be on the good guys team so let's take a quick little side tour and talk about hidden roles in rpgs now most of the time the whole party is going together you're questing together to go after the big bad evil to go somewhere to get a thing to do something together everyone knows who you are but sometimes what if they don't what if they don't my favorite example of this was an idea that my friend tyler came up with his idea was to play a doppelganger and he would be a multi-class doppelganger in 4th edition. Now, the original multi-class rules were you took feats to get powers of a different class. The thing is, 4th edition let you retrain. So his idea was to be his character, the doppelganger, with the feats to mimic another player in the party. His character then 
kills off that character and assumes their their position in the party. Ty then goes, oh no, my character died, and hands the doppelganger off to this person in secret from the rest of the party. The doppelganger then retrains all of those feats to be feats for someone else in the party and kills them. And the idea was to pass this doppelganger around the whole party. And then at the end, everyone goes, ha ha ha, oh, this was fun. But hidden roles work in RPGs. That's the point. You can have extra hidden roles. You can have hidden parts of your character's background. And in a sense, those can be hidden roles. For example, in a Pathfinder game, Kingmaker, that I ran, uh, one of the characters had some pretty extensive ties to the Brevin nobility. As the kingdom started to build and move along, Austin's character uh, began to have all of these old demons come back to haunt him, a duchess that he had wronged at some point, um, some wayward allies of his that showed up at the tournament in Patox, things like that. Okay, okay, real quick, this is gonna piss me off. Hidden roles in RPGs does not mean, oh, by the way, I was evil the whole time and I killed off the whole party just because they got treasure. No, people that play chaotic evil like that always piss me off and you know what that's going to take more time than we have right now that's going to be our next rant i'm chaotic evil those people (laughs) that play their alignments wrong i'm chaotic asshole i'm just gonna kill the whole rest of the party no typically you should avoid hidden roles obviously that are completely contrary to the purpose of the party i mean you shouldn't have a character who absolutely can't work with the party i i once ran remember remember my character uh skib the kobold skibniferous skibniferous nasicles nasicles close enough uh, yeah, he was a kobold who was evil, who was accompanying a party that had found this dragon egg that they needed for quest purposes. He coveted this dragon egg because not only do kobolds worship dragons, but he believed that he could use it as a tool to gain extreme power, uh, mostly lichdom. Unfortunately, that, that campaign never came to a complete head, but uh, at some one point, my character managed to steal the egg from the party leader, who kept it primarily in the back their backpack sadly like i said this this campaign never came all the way to a head because at some point someone would realize the egg was missing and we might have another quest to locate that where my character would have to pretend to be like oh no we gotta find this egg aren't we i did really appreciate the way that you played it though skib was obviously evil my character a desert dwelling monk named chandre blunderbuss had a wonderful way of dealing with it blunderbuss I I don't think I ever heard his last name. Yes, his last name. Blunderbuss. Yes, he had that explosive kick. Oh, jeez. Anyway, at one point, I said that Skib is the most trustworthy member of our party. If he's running, we should all run. If he says that it's safe, it's clearly mostly safe. So, hidden role games. I think the one thing that we should mention here is that you shouldn't play hidden role games all the time if you're prone to burnout. I know that some people don't like lying every time they get together to game. I'm not one of those people. I love lying. Oh yeah, I could could play most hidden role games forever, but... But... A lot of people do get burnt out on them. They are games that do have a tendency to burn out because they all use the exact same methodology. Essentially, what you're doing is trying to trick the other players into believing that your piece of paper says something other than what it says. I think that hidden role games are a great addition to any board gaming collection, any gaming collection. I personally like to play hidden role games about once a month with huge groups, maybe at a party, sometimes at smaller, more intimate gatherings. 
about six or seven friends max and just play all night. But there are some people that wouldn't like it. So if you get a chance, go and check out any of these games. Uh, Spyfall is usually available at Barnes & Noble. Just go check it out. It's really quick. It's actually fairly cheap, too. And see if you like a hidden roll game. And believe it or not, it's one of those hidden roll games that actually gets better the more you play it. Because you start to get a feel for the locations. You start to get an idea of how what the obvious call-outs are and what the obvious stuff is. And start to get a little more tricky about it. And start to find new ways to, to test people with without giving anything away. All right, so these were hidden role games. A lot of fun. Next time, I'm Chaotic Evil. I'm Chaotic Evil. I do whatever I want because I'm Chaotic Evil. Yeah, that's that's our next topic. All right, thank you very, very much for listening, guys. This is Save vs. Rant. Walter Scott once said, Oh, what a tangled web we weave first we practice to Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at saveversusrant.com or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you. It's coming at last. It must.